And so I'm going to get super vulnerable here. I have no explanation for this except I'm a seven and it's fun and I do what's fun. Mm -hmm. I love catching snakes. I love it. (laughs) And so I wanted to listen. (laughs) I'm getting tickled at you getting tickled. (laughs) Sorry. I'm getting super vulnerable here. I was like, what's he about to say? Listen, I I feel like it's the hobby of a 10 year old boy. episode of the Working Enneagram podcast, where we talk about the Enneagram in the context of work. I am super excited to introduce our guests today who are both Enneagram type sevens. First, we have Jake Rail, who is a mindset coach with his wife, Whitney, and together they own Steadfast Life Coaching. Welcome to the show, Jake. Thanks. Stoked to be here. Our second guest is a longtime friend of mine, actually, Mallory English, who has been working from the home since 2016 when she left the banking industry to be with her son and her daughter. Welcome to the show, Mallory. Thank you. So glad to be here. Okay, Jake, I'm going to start off with you. I want to know how long have you been doing mindset coaching and how did you get into the industry? I have been coaching about three and a half years and the timeline's a little fuzzy because the way we got into the industry is that we were trying to build a different business that was fitness and social. So we would have people come together and the whole idea was that they would work out for 30 minutes And then we would hang out for 30 minutes. As we were building that business, we were getting coaching. And our coach kept saying, when are you guys going to give up this dumb business (laughs) and and coach people? (laughs) And we're like, you're crazy. We're never going to do that. We want to make this work. And so then as that was losing more and more money and the bank account was getting smaller and smaller, we're like, hey, why don't we just coach some people just to get some more cash to continue losing money in this other business? And so we did that and uh, it worked. And then we lost that money in the other business. And then we're like, hey, what if we just coached? And then the money just kept coming in and the business was actually successful. So that's amazing. That's kind of how it happened. That is incredible. Mallory, we kind of established already. You've been at home with the kiddos since 2016. Mm -hmm. What prompted that decision? Man, you know, I always knew I was going to like grow up and be this like working woman CEO. Like, yeah, I'm never going to have kids. And I had my first baby Lainey in 2014 and was like, I don't want to ever work again. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone told me that would happen. And I told everyone they were crazy. And um, it turns out it's pretty hard to have a baby and give them over to someone and go to work all day. Yeah. You know, we did. We made the decision that two weeks before I was supposed to return to work, I remember typing up that email that I'm not going to be returning. And my finger was like shaking, holding it over that, that send button. Cause I didn't really have like the, the boss was like never around. He, he wasn't local. So it wasn't like a relationship where I would have called him or anything. And I was like, this is going to be it. Oh my gosh. I had been working there for like 10 years, you know, it's like such a huge part of my identity. And I hit send and I was just like, <gasps> and I really did. I just said like, I remember like break sleeping next to me in the bed. I think Lainey was over here. It was nap time. And I was just like in the dark room, like, what have I done? Like it took me a minute and I was like, is this real life? Like, and I remember like calling my mom and I was like, I just did it. Like, I don't have a job. Oh my gosh. Anyway. And it was just, it was a really, really big day. And it is single-handedly probably like top three best decisions I ever made. Like looking back to think that I was so close at times to just staying at the bank. Like I, and to think that I almost missed it, like 
Oh my gosh. It's, it's almost scary. Like, and now by the way, break starts kindergarten this year. And I, and it, it, it it's not enough time. Yeah. Five more years, six more years of this wouldn't be enough time. But what? okay. You said that was one of the top three decisions that you've made. What would you put up there as the other like two? And then same question for you. Top three decisions you've ever made. In oh, life. easy. Following God, marrying Joe. Aww. Done. Done and done. That was easy. Yeah. Is, are yours that easy? Top three best decisions you've made in your life. Your wife's listening. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you're welcome. Whitney. There's really only one. Just Whitney. That's, I've only made one good decision. <laughs> it's been Whitney. <laughs> I, I do think similarly, though, the decision to leave teaching mm. and and just jump in. It's a decision that I made in in all of 20 minutes. And it's been awesome. It's been such a blast and such an, I remember thinking at the time I had money and savings Mm -hmm. and I was like, if, if we can only do this for one year and I lose all that money, I'll take the year. Mm -hmm. And, and so then like, there's no loss, there's no downside. And so looking back now, of course, at the way life has unfolded, there were a lot of decisions around that time. Whit and I were married before we ever celebrated her birthday together. That's amazing. And so there was a lot of decisions that went really fast. And yeah, looking back, holy cow, when I see the life I'm living right now, those are incredible decisions. Yeah. There's something about like, even if I fail, like I'm going to know that I tried Like Mm -hmm. I'd rather try and know that I fell on my face than look back and always wonder like, yeah, it's it's actually something that we, we teach is that we say no cons, like don't make a pros and cons list. That's a dumb way to make a decision, Mm -hmm. make a pros list. And then you know that you chose the pros you were aimed after. Who cares about the con? I mean, but everything's got cons, right? I don't want to try to be predicting the future. I just want to know that if I fall on my face, I'm like, but I know why I went. Right. That's it. That's all I, that's all I care about. Jake, what would you say you like most about being a mindset coach? That's a great question. I kind of see it as two jobs. Okay. One is business owner and the other is mindset coach to be able to do this. And so business owner, I love, I love the freedom. I love the time freedom. I love the task freedom. I love the creativity freedom. Yes. I just, I feel like you know, wit really taught me what it looks like to be an entrepreneur, to be a business owner and how much freedom there really is Mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. And once I saw it, I can remember the day that I was asking her, how do we take vacations? And she's like, well, what do you want to do on vacation? And I was like, well, I want to climb mountains and I want to go for hikes and I want to see family and I want to hang out with friends. And she's like, okay, how do we build that into the business? And I was like, this is the greatest idea that anyone has ever had. And, and so on one side, being a business owner, I just am in love with the freedom. And I don't think I could ever work for someone again. I believe it's impossible. Sure. And then as far as the mindset thing, I, I not only meet people, I become like intimately connected with their story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and even if it's for a short time, often... I'm working with someone and at least in that window, I kind of, I wouldn't say I know them better than their spouse, but I know them differently than their spouse. Like they're, we're sharing things that, that people just don't share. Like it's just me and Wit and them. We're the only three on the earth that know this about them. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that sort of intimacy makes you automatically really care about that person, be invested in their dream. Mm -hmm. And then to know that your purpose in their life is to help them achieve that dream. 
and and that we've spent the time refining our craft to where they do mm-hmm. achieve that dream, it is super rewarding. That's awesome. And we, oh my gosh, we spend so much time with and I just like reminiscing. Do you remember the first time we met that person and what they were like? And then kind of wow. seeing what they're like at the end. And it's like, you almost can't even recognize them. <clears throat> yeah, And absolutely. so that's really, really rewarding. That is so cool. What do you like most about working in the home? It's a lot of the same things. It's freedom. Um, even after, you know, my last job, I, my goal was to work up to manager, not because I wanted to manage, but because I could not stand being under someone's thumb. <laughs> and I was like, I need to promote to the point where no one's over me. Um, once I became the manager, I, it was okay. I was never like really satisfied with the role, but I did that for a while. But even during that time was like, I could literally never have another job where I wasn't in charge because I loved the freedom of it. I love mm-hmm. that I could like see a problem and say, this is how it needs to be done. This is the most efficient way to do it. And then I could see the progress. I could see the action happening because it's really hard when you're, when you are under someone's thumb and you have to like wait for them to fix it, see that it's either working or not working. Um, so that was one big thing. And then I noticed the carryover to my job at home. Yeah. Very different kind of job here, but then same thing in my own household, I can see a problem. I can immediately take action, fix it to my Mm -hmm. liking. I like that. I can just make the call that, Hey, you know what? Today's a timeout day. Mm -hmm. We just, we're we're just going to go for a hike today. We need a break. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I need a break. Like, you know, you can't do that when you have a job and you're working nine to five for someone else. You can't just call in and say, I just need a day off. I'm, I'm burnt out. And I like that I can prepare for, weeks to come based on what I know is going to happen. And I don't have to wait for like, I cannot stand like slow moving people. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like this is going to happen. We can start preparing now. Like mm-hmm. it drives me crazy. Like let's just make a plan. Yes. <laughs> you know? Three sevens, eights are all part of the aggressive stance. Oh, and yeah. so they think futuristic. So I'm listening to you thinking ahead, like, okay, next week we're going to have a busy Tuesday and Wednesday. My brain doesn't normally think that way. I'm like today, right now in this moment, we're recording a podcast and I might be tired after that. But if I am, I'm like, suck it up, buttercup. because We already got this stuff. I love that sevens can think that. Do you do you resonate with that at all, Jake? Thinking ahead and like. Playing. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I I feel like I have such an intuition about my energy budget. And sometimes Wit will come up with ideas. Hey, we should do this. We should do that. And she's talking, talking. And I'm like, OK, OK, oh, you you hit it. We're going to run out of energy. We, we need a plan recharge, you know, yeah. like, okay, we can do that, but we got this day needs to be <clears throat> hiking. Amazing. This day needs to be on the lake, you know? And so definitely an awareness of energy allocation. Yes. I love the way that you phrase that energy allocation. I like that. Okay. So how do you know that you're a seven, Jake? I took tests at first and it came back seven. But there are certain things about a seven. If I were to look back over the course of my life, like from childhood on, I have been accused of being overly optimistic, unrealistic, head in the clouds from the day I can remember until this very day now. Now, it's way more fun now. Yeah. Because I get to have some teeth to back it up Mm -hmm. and say, you know, get rid of your love affair with realistic and get on board if you want to have some fun. (laughs) But, (laughs) but uh, until then I would, could just see back as as I was reading what a seven is. And I was like, man, this has been something that's been sort of in the back of my mind, like a, an accusation almost that Mm -hmm. I've been living with all, all this time. And then the other thing that really stood out was a characteristic of a seven is they teach in stories. Yes. And I taught 
for 20 years taught high school. And I specifically remember being in high school and having teachers who told stories. Yes. And I straight up said, when I am a teacher, I will tell a story every day. And even one time a student saw my lesson plan and they were like, what is this? And they point at the lesson plan and you could see up at the top, it says, need a 20 minute story <laughs> at the top of my thing just to make everything flow the way it was. But I didn't want to tell the same story Right. As the previous year. And so when I used those, that lesson plan again, the following year, I needed to have a new 20 minute story. And so I just had it in there for whatever had been more recent, right. That applied to whatever the topic was. And so those two things that just unrelenting optimism that you can't get rid of. And I cannot stop telling stories. I was like, yeah, this is, this is a good fit. Do you feel like when people would tell you, Hey, you're, you're being overly optimistic. How does that land on you? Do you feel defensive where you're like, no, I'm not like this is this, or, or do you hear it? And you're like, am I, am I being overly optimistic here? Different at different times. Okay. I guess when I was younger, I thought people knew more than I did. Now I think I know more than them. <laughs> so it, I have no defensiveness to it now whatsoever. I'm just like, oh, you don't know how to live life. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. All right, Mallory, how do you know you're a seven? <sighs> kind of the same thing. Like, I, like, especially now looking back where I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that makes so much sense. But I guess to answer your question, like, how did I know? Um, well, you were a huge help to me because when I first heard about the Enneagram, we were serving at church together and I was like, what is all this? Like, I didn't even have the patience to take the test. I was like, ah, da, da, all this reading, like, just tell me my number, dang it. Like, <laughs> and I remember taking the test and it said seven, six and nine were like the top in numbers for me, I want to say. But I remember seven was like the first one. And I was like, what do you want me to do with this information now that I have it? Like, and I remember feeling like very, like, it was like very invasive. Like, oh, I feel like you're seeing me without my clothes on. And you know, as most personality tests tend to make you feel, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but, um, the big things that stood out to me about it were the, the optimism, the, the encourager part of it. And, um, I think those were like the two big, Oh, and like the, the, the parts where it was like, here's the part of you that can be like hard, like you, you need to work on was like the impulsiveness Mm -hmm. and, um, the scattered, Like if you don't focus on your goals or, you know, you tend to like start and never finish things. And I was like, okay, that's that, that hits deep. That's rude. (laughs) Yeah. Like I can't tell you how many times I've like started a book and I get to the last chapter and I'm like, you know, I I might finish that later. Why am I like that? Like just finish the book. I'm like, I I feel like I get it. And I remember like looking back in life and like being like, for instance, I used to have a job at another bank and I remember telling, you know, my family, like the best way I can describe how I feel at this place is like, if we're all crowns and everyone is a gray crown and I'm a yellow crown and everyone can't stand me because I'm like hurting their eyes. And they're like, why are you so bright? And I, I feel like this obnoxious ray of sunshine. And I'm like, good morning, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> yeah. How would you explain the Enneagram seven to somebody who is not familiar with the Enneagram at all? For me, I would tell them like, well, you know, you'd probably find that you are, you tend to be more optimistic, um, 
you know, like, and I, I would even say it's more than just a glass is half full. You're like the glass is overflowing person. You know, you, when someone says like, oh, the glass is half full, not half empty. I'm like, no, you're like, here's the pitcher. I'm bringing the bucket. I got all the water. Like we're going to be fine. And, and I know where the water's coming from. Like if that falls out, I got more. Like you're like the water's pouring person and you are ready for the next adventure. And oh, the FOMO of missing out. That was another big indicator that when I was like kind of deciding am I seven, am I a nine was when I was looking into sevens having fear of missing out. And I was like, I am really bad. And since I've learned that and learning that the Enneagram is not meant to be an excuse to your weaknesses, but to help you overcome them, I've really gotten like so much better about not having fear of missing out. And I've been able to like in a healthy way, start saying no to more things. That's awesome. Because I used to be really bad about just trying to make every little thing with friends and like, well, what if there's an inside joke that's created and I'm like, I'm left out. <laughs> so <laughs> embarrassing to admit that. But for the longest time, I was like wearing myself out. I have to make every little thing. And Jake, what would you add to that? I, I really like the question. How do you, how do you explain a core desire of you know, satisfaction and fun and joy to mm -hmm. someone that doesn't understand or, or isn't familiar with the Enneagram. And so for me, I guess the way that I understand that it's a core desire is that if I walked, if I walked into this room to do this podcast and I didn't have a shirt on, I would be like, something is missing. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, I, even if I wasn't sure what it was, I, I'm, something is not here. Right. And I feel that way about fun. If I'm in a situation and the funds missing, I'm, I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on. We haven't started. You know, we, oh. there, there must be something addressed right here because this is not fun. And it doesn't, I don't mean that everything needs to be fun, but the fun needs to come. That's like I'm wearing more than a shirt, right? but, but the fun needs to come to the party. And, and so whatever's going on, I would say even in, even in grieving, there's going to be an element of if I imagine grieving the loss of a loved one, it includes two things. It, it includes tears and sadness and memories and these stories that have you laughing, you know, like you can't even catch your breath. Yeah. And for me, that's it has to be that way. Mm -hmm. And so, it, you know, to like nail down this idea of a core desire, it's not like, oh, I just want to party. It's that if the fun's not there, it's not complete. Mm -hmm. Mallory, how how for you does this core desire to be fun and to, to bring joy to each situation show up as a mom. So for me, sometimes it can also be a burden in that I really want my kids to be fun people themselves. Like I'm trying to raise them to be fun people. Mm. And there's all, for one, there's always the thought of like, I hope I'm not overdoing it. <laughs> like, I don't want them to grow up and be like, my mom would never just be serious. My mom, you know, would never just sit still. Or my mom would never take time with feelings. I mean, mm -hmm. I think I do a pretty good job if I'm honest, but that's always in the back of my head. I always worry that we're not taking enough time to just be still. But for the most part, I think what can happen, though, is busyness can can definitely become like the enemy, you know, trying to sign them up for too many sports, trying to, mm -hmm. you know, take them here, take them there. I notice that's kind of like all or nothing. Do nothing so that I haven't. It's like I, can, I have a tendency to almost overcorrect. Like we're doing everything to the extreme where we're doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. So I, I, I can have like a hard time finding that balance. But sure. it's like I just want them to be happy and I just want them to have fun. And I want to teach them how to not only have fun, but how to be, be fun. What would Lainey and Brake say to the question, what is the most fun thing about your mom? The kind of constant joke is like, oh, you know, mommy's really silly or mommy's really goofy. 
my shirt, for example. Cool mom club. Yes, cool mom club. It's always a thing that I say, like, I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. (laughs) (laughs) What story do you feel comfortable sharing about how you have brought this element of fun or joy into a mindset coaching setting or into a business owner setting? Like, where do you see that core motivation show up in your work? Well, when Whit and I started out, the pair to freedom is responsibility. Right. And so we had the freedom to do whatever we wanted with our time, but we had to figure out what to do with our time. Right. And so you're kind of navigating, especially for me, I went from one extreme to another. I was ruled by a bell for Mm -hmm. 20 years. Mm -hmm. Bell, teach, bell, off, bell, lunch. You know, like it it was in that kind of environment. And now it was, okay, what do you want to do? So my first day ever as an entrepreneur, which was kind of my summer vacation. Like I finished a teaching year. And so in any other year for the past 20 years, this had been the first day of summer. Right. But this particular year, it was my first day as a business owner. Mm. And so I was asking, hey, what are we going to do? And she's like, look, it's your first day. Do what you want. You know, and we'll, we'll make this day just whatever it's going to be. And so I took my daughter to see Wonder Woman in the morning at like 11 a.m. That's amazing. Uh, it did not go over well. <laughs> it was, you know, I was like, we're trying to run a company here and you're watching a movie. And I was like, oh, hey, misunderstood. You know what? It, what what's happening here? And and so, you know, come to find out, though, it's very helpful for me to have wits boundary on this. And it's very helpful for her to have my look at this. And so now the way that it shows up so well in our, in our business, in our life is wit will, we'll have a meeting, which I I hate meetings, (laughs) but but wit always wants to have them. And so we'll have a meeting and she'll say, we, we need to do these things. And I'll kind of let her sort of, you know, lay out. These are the things that need to happen. These are why these are why they're important, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I get to say, okay, what would be the most fun way to do them? For example, I needed to get some uh, content consumption. I wanted to get my thoughts organized, hear from a few experts Mm -hmm. because I was preparing to do a podcast and I wanted to have this stuff in my mind. And so I'm going to get super vulnerable here. I have no explanation for this, except I'm a seven and it's fun and I do what's fun. Mm -hmm. I love catching snakes. I love it. (laughs) And so I knew that what I needed to do, what... What I would consider that a normal person would do would be to read the Joyce Meyer book that I wanted to read to get this content in my head to sort of process it and have it come out the other side. I don't read. I learned that (laughs) I tried reading and it's not the reading that's the problem. It's the... Like, what do I do? Just sit in a chair or do I sit at a desk or like this, this just feels so weird. And so I'm like, I don't know. It's not that I don't know how to read like the words. I don't know how to do the action of reading. And so I learned that if I go out and walk or paddleboard or one wheel or anything with audible book on, Hmm. I literally call it reading. So if I said to wit, I don't say I'm going out paddling. I'm like, I need to read. And so I go out there and read. So on this particular day, I knew I had to get this information. So I put my AirPods in, I put Joyce Meyer on chapter three, here we go. And I went out and I had my iPhone so that anything that like connected, I just would make an audio voice recorded note into the, into my notes. And I found like three snakes and recorded the, all the information that I needed. And then I could go back and 
produce. I could go create. And so that to me is an example of, of what it looks like to bring my sevenness into my business. Mm -hmm. Is that if we went back three years when I, I felt more like business was something outside of me that I was trying to learn, mm -hmm. I was like agreeing with the limits of yes. what business was a, I was inefficient because I wasn't very good in those limits, but B what I would do is sit in front of a blank computer and just stare at it and hope that I could write something mm -hmm. where now I know one hour by the lake, one hour at my computer and it's done. It's yes. a two hour process that used to take me eight hours. That's amazing. Let's switch gears and talk about the core fear of the seven, which is to be <clears throat> like trapped in emotional pain. So, so much of this optimism that we see with sevens, it is a true gift from the Lord, a true blessing that sevens give. Um, but the blessing is always the curse with all Enneagram types. And so that optimism sometimes can mask grief, loss, boredom. And so there's this fear of being bored or trapped in emotional pain that sevens experience. Can you provide an example of how this fear presents itself in your job? Yeah, yes, th this is a big problem in my specific job. <laughs> <laughs> and so again, I always see my job as two different jobs. Mm -hmm. So on the business owner side, getting in LLC paperwork in was almost a task too big to have a business. <laughs> you know what? Never mind. I'll go work for a boss because <laughs> what are you talking about? There are like four pages to this. That's amazing. And so that part definitely was tricky and it's been a big area of growth of mine. And it's someplace where I actually would describe that a miracle has occurred in my life. It's something that I've like surrendered and through both secular instruction mm -hmm. as, as well as prayer and surrender. Mm -hmm. It's something that I feel much better about now. Like I even applied for a loan and got it recently. Nice. Yeah, I did all the paperwork. Oh my, so <laughs> I, was, proud of you. I was so proud of myself. That's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> and so, uh, so that is one place where the, I think the core fear kind of comes in is that it is sometimes there are tedious, mundane tasks that are integral to the dream. Mm. Probably the more important conversation to have is that, I am often alongside people who are at the lowest point in their life, or at least recent, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not going to say it's their absolute minimum, but they're going through some tough stuff. Right. And I have this memory of watching that the movie where it's like, it's a cartoon and you're all the characters are inside the little girl's head. And inside out, inside out. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I, and I watched it through the whole thing. I'm kind of, okay, I'm following, I'm following. It got to the end and I'm like, well, that was just stupid. I'm like, what, why didn't they just let joy run it? <laughs> like, why are we trying to pretend that there's some value to this blue dot? You know, like I, I really had that like emotional response to the movie. I'm like, that movie was an error. Yes. And, and this is way before I ever got into any mindset coaching or anything like that. <laughs> that is not, a, that is a problem. If I'm going to be mindset coaching, I mean, that is really bad coaching to, you know, think that the blue dot doesn't have a purpose. And so, yeah, to look at where that has affected my work in that regard, I have had to like learn, like a kid learns math how to sit in an emotion that I mm -hmm. don't like. And it's not even that I'm afraid of, of the emotion. It's that my mind goes out of it mm -hmm. so fast that I don't even know it was there. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to learn techniques to become aware that the emotion is even there 
because let's be honest, sometimes it is very appropriate Mm -hmm. and and I want to be authentic and I want to be appropriate. And if I'm going to connect with anyone, if I'm going to have any sort of rapport or be able to help in any relatable way, Mm -hmm. I can't constantly be saying everything's fine, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And so that, that was probably the biggest, the biggest place that the fear showed up in in an area that I had to grow. All right. What would you add to this? You know, I think the reason I'm having a hard time with this question is because literally my brain is like, does not compute our feelings. <laughs> I, I literally am like every other question. I'm like, I'm happy to go first. And this one, I'm like, I don't know what you mean. I don't fear feelings. Also, I think just the word fear in itself. It's like, maybe if I like picked a new word there, because I, when I think like fear, like I don't like sit around like feeling fear of necessarily like these these things, but I do understand the idea of like bored or feeling trapped because one big thing that I've had to deal with since staying home these last six years, man, it's just flown by, but you know, is this kind of like pending feeling of like, eventually Greg will be in school with Lainey, which is coming up in this, you know, Mm -hmm. August, September. And what, what's that going to look like for me? You know, like I don't see myself dropping kids off at school and just sitting at home and waiting for them to get home. Like I've had a lot of friends have been like, Oh, you'd be surprised. You drop them off. You do your chores, you go to the store, you pick them back up. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like something that I want to do. Like Mm -hmm. I've always said, like, I need a project. And I know that work is not like to go to work for someone is not my project. And for years I have just talked my husband's ear off. I'm like, I've taken countless, like, what's the career for me? (laughs) You know, like what's, what is my personality type? What should I do for a living? And I just never come up with anything. And I've always said like, whether it's serving at church or something, I've, I need, I've, I need something for me. That's fulfilling for me because the base of my, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy, like that's all met for me. Like Mm -hmm. I need something that's stimulating for me that I can give back to my community. But because I'm not motivated by like a paycheck, it's really hard to figure out what that is right now, Mm -hmm. you know? And Above all, I need to still be able to be mom. I need to be be available for my kids, but I don't see myself just sitting at home and just like cleaning and cooking and okay, I'm going to go pick up now. And so that's been like my fears. Like, what does that look like for me? How can you tell when you're motivated from an unhealthy place as opposed to a healthy place? It's a great question. The, the image that comes to mind for me is that I am like a, a boat among all the other boats and I'm pursuing my dream. Mm -hmm. And so are all the other boats Mm -hmm. and I can go fast Mm -hmm. and, and I can go slow and there's a lot of different ways I can navigate from here to there. And from time to time, I might look around and see the wake that I'm leaving behind and the effect that it's having on the other boats. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, that's that's embarrassing. (laughs) You know, like I I really did not intend for this to have that and collateral damage. And so the, sort of the idea I think that's, that's running that is that, um, I I don't know if everyone sees their Enneagram number this way. I see it as a a gift, almost a superpower that there, I I can, I can access joy and I understand joy very well. I have a very good relationship with it and I can, I don't need my circumstances to provide it. I can access it now accessing joy. It's sort of, I think it's, it's highest purpose is to give me a light that is shared mm-hmm. and it's not so high purpose. It, it gives me a light that I, people can be envious of. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at the wake, I, if I notice that I'm flipping over too many boats a- along my way, I, I know to check and see, am I, 
Am I building my light and shining my light so that others will see my light and think, wow, that's amazing. What, what a great life he has. Or look at how great he's doing it. And, you know, it, it's, it's tough to say that it, it happens more than I'd like. Sure. But, but that is, I guess, you know, to answer your question, how do I know when my motivation is, is off? I kind of take a look around me and I see if, if my light is causing envy or, or my light is causing encouragement. Mm. Mallory, what would you add? It's funny because my first thought was a little anecdote. Uh, another like sort of analogy. There's this time where I was packing for a trip and, uh, I think I had just recently learned about, I knew that I was a seven, but I didn't understand like the, the paths, like, you know, you go to a one and stress. Anyway, I just learned about it. And I remember packing for this trip and I had just learned that you go to a one and stress and what that really meant for me. And have you guys seen that little, like, gif or maybe not a gif but like a short where it's like me when i'm trying to be productive but my brain is like fried and it's like a seal or something in water and it's just going in circles <laughs> and it's like do 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 it's like and it, you know what i'm talking about yes. uh-huh. and i i had so much to do and true to myself i was like waiting to the last minute to do it and i remember i was so overwhelmed but and the only way I could get it done was I totally went like almost manic. Like I had this ridiculous, um, over the top checklist. Like, it, like it was like, I just completely like took a 180 and I had like everything like really organized. Like, I mean, and that, and that's what happens. Like is in time of extreme stress, it's like, I become this almost like super anal, like perfectionist, mm-hmm. but it was like the only way that I could, you know, and it was like, everybody just leave me alone and let me do this exactly this way. I always think about that. Like am I right now, Mallory, are you being the weird, you know, rigid suitcase packer? <laughs> like even, you know, it's just, it's like my metaphor, you yeah. know, that's, that's kind of how I know that I'm going to that like unhealthy place and I need to take a step back. For the Enneagram 7s who are listening, who may be struggling, and usually for them in a work setting, it, it is this feeling like they're under somebody's thumb, like mm-hmm. they're answering to the bell, like they are doing these mundane tasks that they feel like they cannot escape with their jobs or missing mm-hmm. this element of fun. What encouragement would you give to that person? Well, I, I think the the coolest way that I look at it is, like I was saying before, it's it's like a superpower in your relationship with joy, your relationship with fun, your relationship with uh, satisfaction. And when you really dive into that superpower, you will quickly realize it's not dependent on anything. Mm -hmm. And so there is fun in whatever it is that you're doing. And so you can, just sort of like take a deep breath and realize that you're, you know, it's interesting that you say that a, a unhealthy seven is going to go and try to control everything. Well, yeah, that would be if I needed to go and I thought that that people needed to be different, that things needed to be different, that everything needed to be different so I could have fun. Mm-hmm. That if you come back into the healthy part, you realize that you bring forth the joy, you access the joy. Mm-hmm. And and that's what your superpower is. That's mm-hmm. what you're good at. That's what you spent your whole life doing, what you understand. You can turn the dials on joy. Mm-hmm. And so just turn those dials It is sort of the first layer. And then the second layer is to know that you set those dials to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and now, you know, he says, I have said these things to you so that you will have my joy and that your joy will be full. Like this is, this is the point. This is what he's offering us. And so if we go and set our dials to him, 
even if our job is just pushing paper somewhere, then suddenly those limits melt mm. and, and the joy appears. That's so good. Mallory, what advice would you give? So for me, I think about the fact that, you know, for years people told me things like, gosh, you're such a good encourager or even like you're, you know, you're really good at always bringing the fun or you're really good at always just having a positive spin on things. And I was like, eh, whatever, you're just saying that or everyone's good at that, you know? And then you realize like, no, like really you're good at that. Some people are really good at organizing and they just kind of think like everyone's good at that. And then Mm -hmm. you you stop and you're like, no, like I, this is my spiritual gift or this is like my God given gift. Mm -hmm. And I would say if you, if you feel like you're a seven or, you know, you're a seven, like really stop and like soak that in and know that like God, when he made you, he gave you that. And like, to your point, like supernatural, like it is not a natural gift that you have this. It is a supernatural gift. And like, stop and just relish in that, that of all the gifts, God said, like, man, I'm going to make this person, not my creation. I'm going to, I'm going to give them optimism and I'm going to give them an extra, an extra dash of joy. And I'm going to, I'm going to give them an extra dash of encouragement. Mm -hmm. And I am going to basically give them a supernatural sense of light so that when they get to know people and they walk in a room and, and, and really have these relationships with people, they get to bring that with them and they get to provide people with that. Is there anything else uh, left unsaid that y'all would like to share about being an Enneagram 7 or for Enneagram 7s? Or for mm-hmm. those who work and live with an Enneagram 7? I, I think there's something interesting, and I, I don't know exactly how it fits into all this, but it's something I've observed in myself actually through your guidance quite a bit is, you know, the idea of even when you said core fears, Mallory's like, I don't know about fears. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> people often from the outside have looked in at my life and they're like, whoa, you're like fearless. I'm like, no, nah, it's not really fearless. Like I feel fear. I just don't really care about fear that much. And mm-hmm. and, and what I've learned is that. I don't have a huge priority on safety. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it doesn't mean I'm reckless right. or, or anything like that. But if someone were to say like, what are you, you know, what are you going to cling to? If I had a choice between fun and safety, I would always choose fun. Mm-hmm. That being said, I have fear. Fear of missing out is fear. Mm-hmm. And and so just sort of understanding myself and any seven sort of listening to this at the same time, you can kind of mislead yourself by thinking that you don't have fear, which I did for a long time. But really, it was that I didn't prioritize safety. And so learning that I do have fears, and they just look different. They're not about being safe. They're not about right. being protected. They're about I have fear of limits. Mm-hmm. I, I have fear of boredom. I have fear of tediousness. I have fear of missing out. I have fear of wasting my time, missing mm-hmm. out on experiences. Mm-hmm. And when I recognize those fears and then have the gift from the other side of kind of a healthy relationship with fear mm-hmm. on the other kind, the safety kind of fear, I can sort of take that relationship and apply it in these other areas once I spot that it's fear. Mm-hmm. And so that would be sort of something I would love for other sevens to hear is that you may feel like you don't have a lot of fear, but it's a, it's a different kind of fear that maybe only we have. I don't know. I don't know that much about the other types, but I think that our relationship with fear is really different. It is very unique. Yes. As far as like, um, what I would still like if, if I were talking to other like spouses, you've mentioned like what you would want people to know living with sevens is just to like be patient with them when they're telling you stories, you know, there have been times like, for example, 
Mallory, I don't get your point. Like you're kind of in the weeds with this story. Like, oh, well, it turns out I'm a storyteller. It turns out the way I needed, I need to tell you something is to tell you like it was a cold, it was a cold winter day and it was 5 a.m. and I, I had toast. And if you're married to a seven or your best friend's a seven, like it's not just, they're not just trying to like take up all your time. Like it, I, I think it would like really help your relationship for you just to go, just go like read up on a seven. Like I think you would be like, oh, that's why they're like that. Yeah. I've yeah. got to find this book. I don't know if I told you about it before, but my mom used to read it to me all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was a series of books. And so I don't know how I would find it, but it was about these little like fur creatures who never slept because they were afraid of missing something. And and then they would all fight with each other because they were grumpy and crabby. (laughs) They were tired until someone finally helped them sleep. And when they finally took naps, they finally slept a little bit. They found that their experience of their, the woods that they lived in was actually superior. And she would like sit me down and read that to me as a child. I'm totally going to try to find it for you. I would love that. You can read it. Well, thank you guys so much. This was so, so fun and true Enneagram 7 fashion. I expect nothing less, but thank you for your stories, your anecdotes, your insights, and thank you for taking the time to be here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thanks for putting it all together. It's super fun. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Enneagram 7's Jake Rail and Mallory English. My goal is that you would walk away from this conversation learning a little bit more about what it's like to be a type 7. I really love that Jake got to join the podcast today. I am a big fan of Jake and Whitney's life coaching. I have personally benefited from it. For those, though, that may not be familiar with mindset coaching, essentially, a good mindset coach helps clients become aware of their thoughts and their unintentional stories that they're telling themselves. Becoming aware of these things can help you rewrite an intentional story that you have control over. It's a very empowering process. And like I said, I'm just a big fan. So I have partnered with Jake and Whitney, and they are giving all Working Enneagram podcast listeners a 15% discount for the first three months of their coaching program called Trust You. They also offer a seven-day free trial before the discounted price kicks in. So If you have any hesitations, you can always dip your toe in the water a little bit before completely diving in. To get that 15% discount, click the link in the show notes titled Trust You Monthly and use the promo code Working Enneagram, no spaces, all one word, all capital letters. A few extra things that you'll get with this program when you sign up is six monthly group coaching sessions, some guided meditations, coaching on how to capture your thoughts and how to do a thought download, access to Whitney's weight loss series, and access to some coaching replays. If you're feeling extra bold, you can also take advantage of the 15% discount for the first three years, a saving of over $400 that you can get by clicking on the link in the show notes titled Trust You for three years. Using that same promo code, of course, Working Enneagram, no spaces, all one word, all capital letters. Thank you so much for joining and I'll see you next time. 